Good Monday morning. New details emerging from that mass shooting in Alabama over the weekend. Gun violence erupting at a Sweet 16 birthday party. It's April 17th. This is today. Unthinkable tragedy. A small community reeling this morning. Four people killed, nearly 30 others hurt inside a crowded dance studio. Most of the victims, teenagers, including a local high school football star. You get ready to go to college, play football. That hit me, just hit me hard like a load of bricks. This morning, the tributes to victims and the desperate search for suspects. Growing outrage. Lawmakers on both sides of the aisle demanding more answers and action in the wake of that massive leak of highly classified documents. Who wants to share information with the United States if you're going to read about it in the paper or find it on the Internet? We'll have new details on the investigation as the accused Air National Guardsman behind the breach gets set for his next court hearing this week. Rallying cry. All eyes on the Supreme Court this week expected to decide the fate of the abortion pill at the center of a divisive debate from coast to coast. What's next in the showdown? Straight ahead. Countdown to liftoff. SpaceX and NASA gearing up this morning for the first ever test flight of the most powerful rocket ever made. One that could eventually carry humans to the moon and Mars. We'll have the very latest. All that plus love delayed. Fans of that enormously popular Netflix reality show, Love is Blind, outraged after the live reunion is plagued with technical issues overnight. Apparently, y'all, everybody broke the internet to see this reunion! Just ahead, the streaming giant's message about what went wrong. And together again, music icon Janet Jackson takes Chanel behind the scenes during the first stop of her long-awaited tour before welcoming her on stage to perform as a backup dancer. She'll take us inside her unforgettable escapade with one of her heroes today, Monday, April 17th, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Oda Cuppy, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Hey there, good Monday morning to you. Thanks so much for joining us here on today. Savannah and Hoda are off, so we're very happy to have Kristen Walker filling in. I'm not sure how your weekend was. I'm not sure how your weekend was, but I guarantee you, <laughs> Chanel Jones may have had the best weekend in America. Didn't compare to Chanel's weekend. It is so great to be here, Craig, and I cannot wait to see this piece. All I have to say is she crushed it. She did. By the looks of things. One of her longtime icons, so Chanel got to spend some time not just interviewing Janet Jackson, but getting on stage and yeah. dancing with as well. Incredible. Chanel's going to join us live in just a bit, but first we do want to start with the news this morning, our top story. The search for answers and suspects after that mass shooting at a Sweet 16 birthday party in Alabama. It's the latest in a series of violent incidents across the country, including in Kansas City. A teenager there shot after he mistakenly went to the wrong house to pick up a relative. His family now speaking out. We have it all covered this morning, starting with NBC's Priscilla Thompson, who joins us from the scene in Alabama. Priscilla, good morning to you. Craig, good morning. Police here have not arrested a suspect or released any details about possible leads in this case, leaving this community waiting for answers about how all of this unfolded and who is responsible. 
This morning, a community is reeling after unthinkable tragedy at a Sweet 16. Oh my God. Oh my God. Officials say four people were killed and at least 28 injured at the birthday celebration late Saturday. The party's DJ describing a chaotic scene, saying the room was dark and packed before shots rang out. He tried to protect as many teenagers as he could, shielding them as others fled for the exit. After everybody ran out, I made sure they were okay. According to family members, Philstavius Dowdell was among the victims. A star on the high school football team, he'd been planning to play at Alabama's Jacksonville State next year. First thing about Phil, he got his huge smile. He got a heart. He humble. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a grandmother's boy. The tight-knit town of Dadeville, Alabama, is in shock. Do you ever think anything like that would happen here? No, man. Not, not in a million years. It's just That's why it's so shocking, because everybody knows each other. Everybody loves each other. Officials giving no word on possible suspects or motive and asking the community for any leads. We absolutely need you to share it. The tiny Alabama community, not the only one to be rocked by gun violence this weekend. Two were killed and four more injured in a park shooting in Louisville on Saturday, less than a week after another mass shooting at a bank there killed five. President Biden calling the seemingly endless wave of shootings outrageous and unacceptable and asking Congress to pass gun safety reforms. In Dadeville, an emotional vigil late Sunday included many students. Jordan Rambo says he lost a best friend that night. It's hard. Uh, me and him were very, very close. It doesn't seem real. And investigators are working to confirm and speak with everyone who was at that party on Saturday night. They're also urging anyone in the public who may have tips to come forward, call and speak to them. Meanwhile, students are expected back in the classroom today. The superintendent says that there will be counselors on hand to help them as many continue to grieve. Craig. Priscilla Thompson for us there in Alabama. Priscilla, thank you. Community members in Kansas City are demanding justice after a 16-year-old was shot last week after ringing the wrong doorbell. The family of 16-year-old Ralph Yarl joined hundreds of people from across the Kansas City area for a rally yesterday. Police say Yarl went to pick up his siblings Thursday night and ended up at the wrong address where he was apparently shot by a resident of the home. That teen remains in stable condition. The resident was taken into custody. Prosecutors are investigating. Also this morning, there's new fallout over the worst U.S. intelligence breach in years. A 21-year-old National Guard airman accused of leaking dozens of classified files facing a new hearing this week. While the impact of that breach grows both here and overseas, NBC's chief Washington and foreign affairs correspondent Andrew Mitchell has the very latest on this. Andrea, good morning to you. Well, good morning, Craig. Congress is coming back this week, and they're going to get briefings on just how the Pentagon failed to prevent the leaks or even notice them sooner online. As accused leaker, 21-year-old airman Jack Teixeira faces a detention hearing Wednesday after being arrested at his home and charged with possessing and sharing classified documents. The outrage is growing over the biggest U.S. intelligence breach in a decade. According to the Washington Post, citing documents not seen by NBC News, leaked Pentagon assessments revealed troubling new details about Taiwan's ability to fend off a Chinese invasion. Among the revelations, that Taiwanese officials doubt their air defenses can accurately detect missile launches, and that barely more than half of Taiwan's aircraft are fully mission-capable.
The Post, citing other documents not verified by NBC News, reports the Chinese spy balloon shot down in February carried sensors and antennas the U.S. still had not identified more than a week after shooting it down, and that the U.S. knew of up to four additional Chinese spy balloons. The Pentagon is declining comment. Lawmakers from both parties want to know why Teixeira, an enlisted man and IT specialist, was able to take documents home, according to the government's affidavit, without being caught. Through life patterns, there were clearly signals that that he would might be a likely uh, leaker of information in the future. And then also the access that he was having to this information uh, should have been cut off. Among America's allies, the diplomatic fallout is growing. Who wants to share information with the United States if you're going to read about it in the paper or find it on the Internet? Still, Secretary of State Tony Blinken at a G7 foreign ministers meeting in Japan says he has seen no sign that allies are withholding information from the U.S. What I've heard so far, at least, is um, an appreciation for the uh, the steps that we're taking. And uh, it's not affected our cooperation. But foreign officials I've talked to say that they are concerned and they want answers to just how a 21-year-old enlisted man could be permitted to take documents home, another case they say of U.S. carelessness in handling top secrets. Meanwhile, Taiwan's defense ministry told The Washington Post that its defense systems are, quote, carefully constructed based on enemy threats. Craig? Andrew Mitchell Force there. Andrew, thank you. Now to an unexpected twist overnight in a closely watched defamation case, a Delaware judge pressing pause on Dominion voting systems, $1.6 billion lawsuit against Fox News and its parent company. NBC Stephanie Gosk is at the courthouse in Wilmington. So, Steph, walk us through it. Why was this trial delayed? Sure, Kristen. You know, we were all set to go here in Wilmington. And then late word last night from the judge that there would be a delay. This morning, multiple reports that settlement talks are underway. In a case like this, a settlement can be reached in the very last moments, as they euphemistically say, on the courthouse steps. The Washington Post is citing two sources familiar with the matter that say those talks are scheduled to take place today. But the judge has not officially given a reason for the delay. He did say he was going to announce it first thing in court this morning. So, Steph, let me just ask you, what's at stake in this potential trial and how might it all play out? Yeah, Kristen, $1.6 billion is at stake. Dominion Voting Systems accuses Fox News of spreading lies about its voting machines in the wake of the 2020 election. And they say that they did so knowingly or, or at least recklessly. And then you have Fox on the other side saying that this is a political crusade in search of a payout, that they were only doing the job as a network and as a news division protected by the First Amendment. We were expecting in the weeks to come to see some of Fox News's biggest stars, including Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson, as well as the, the heads of the corporation, including 92-year-old Rupert Murdoch and Lachlan Murdoch. All of this taking place in court, shining a spotlight, spotlight not just on these two organizations, but also on the 2020 election and journalism itself in this country, Kristen. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. All right, Steph Goss, thank you so much. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court is once again taking up the divisive issue of abortion rights, expected to decide the fate of the pill, Mifepristone, this week. Mifepristone has been at the center of a string of contradictory decisions in the lower courts. And over the weekend, protests and rallies, both for and against, were held all over the country. 
Here to help us break it all down, NBC's senior legal correspondent, Laura Jarrett. Laura, good to have you back as always. Good morning. So, again, there's been so much back and forth. Help us understand where things stand with the abortion pill right now as we sit here. Okay. As of this moment, access to Mifepristone is just as it was two weeks ago. The status quo is maintained. However, things could move very quickly later this week because we know the Supreme Court has now taken a hard look at this. And as of right now, again, they have paused those lower court decisions, which had essentially cast some doubt about the availability. And all of that is on pause right now. But the justices want to hear from the plaintiffs who originally brought this case by noon tomorrow. And after that point, then the court could rule at any time. And so that's when we might see some critical action after noon tomorrow. And Laura, this is interesting because the justices actually have a couple of different paths that they could go down. Tell us what they are and what the implications are. Yeah, there's a couple different scenarios. The justices could essentially grab the case for themselves early and decide that they want to hear it and actually go through oral argument, get some more briefing, hear from all the parties on both sides. Or they could decide to keep this pause essentially in play while the case goes back down to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. In that case, the status quo would be maintained. Everyone could still get access to this pill, but you would just see essentially the same thing playing out just in the lower courts. Or the justices could deny what the Justice Department and the Biden administration want here, which is essentially you would see more restrictions on this pill, but the case would, again, still be down in the Fifth Circuit. So a a lot of different scenarios. The key question is whether access to the pill is maintained while the case plays out. And that's what the Justice Department and the pill manufacturer want. All eyes on that case. Yes. All eyes on another case that the high court's mm-hmm. taking up tomorrow. This one involving um, religious freedom, individual religious yeah. freedom. And it also involves the post office. Talk yeah, to us about this. Yeah, this, this is an interesting one. So a devout uh, Christian, a former postal worker, doesn't want to work on Sundays. He says he's happy to work any other day but Sundays. But because of his religion, he would like that day to be off limits. His employer tried to make accommodations for that for a long time, but at a certain point said, sorry, this isn't going to work anymore. So he quit and he sued. And he used the civil rights law that's been on the book for decades and said, essentially, you can't discriminate on the basis of religion. However, for a long time, the court has said employers essentially can can do what they need to yeah. to make reasonable accommodations. And especially if there's a hardship on the actual business, then the, then you can't. Right. You just can't because like you have to be able to find someone to cover the shift. Yeah. The fact that the, ca- the case is even coming before the court right now is super interesting because it suggests the justices might uh, want to take a second look at it because this has been on the books for decades. Our senior legal correspondent, Laura Jarrett. Laura, thank you. Great sure. to see you, Laura. Yeah. Also this morning, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell is returning to a full schedule on Capitol Hill today following a nearly six-week absence after a fall. NBC's senior Capitol Hill correspondent Garrett Hake joins us with more on all of this. Garrett, good morning to you. So what is the latest on McConnell's recovery? Hey, Kristen, good morning. Look, his whole recovery process has been kept very private. Now, McConnell fell at an event more than a month ago, and almost no one outside of his closest aides had laid eyes on him until we saw him coming back into the Capitol on Friday. Now, McConnell spent time hospitalized, then in rehab for a concussion and for a broken rib that he suffered in that fall. Concussion's obviously a serious injury for anybody, but especially for a person in his 80s. Now, McConnell's team says he is expected to give his typical Monday remarks on the floor today. Then he usually takes questions questions from reporters every Tuesday. McConnell is the longest serving party leader in Senate history. That Q&A on Tuesday will be among his most closely watched, I think, Kristen. All right. So Senator McConnell's coming back, Garrett. Meanwhile, though, Democratic Senators John Fetterman, Dianne Feinstein, they've also been absent for months now. What impact have those absences had on what the Senate can do? 
Well, like McConnell, Fetterman is expected back in the Senate today. He, after receiving treatment in a hospital for depression. That means most Senate business will return to normal, except on the Judiciary Committee. Now, that's because Feinstein, who's 89, recently hospitalized with shingles, is still out. She's been out since February. Now, with the Republican House, a closely divided Senate, confirming Biden-nominated judges through that committee and on the floor is really one of the few things the Senate can actually do. With Feinstein out, that gets harder. The California senator has offered to step away from the committee, but quickly seating a replacement would take consent from all 100 senators. Republicans not eager to help. Now, Feinstein is facing some calls from House Democrats to resign, but her Senate colleagues have defended her so far. One fellow Democrat, Amy Klobuchar, pointed out her vote could be pivotal when it comes time to try to raise the debt ceiling later this year. California will need two voting senators then. Guys. All right. Our senior congressional correspondent, Garrett Hake, for us. Garrett, thank you. Well, let's get a check of the weather with Al. Hey there, Al. Hey, welcome Mr. back, Mr. Melvin. Good, good to be good back, to brother. Rested. Yeah. Good to see you, too, Kristen. <laughs> and good so. to see you, folks. Happy Monday. Can you believe we're talking winter weather, winter weather advisories, winter storm warnings, even blizzard warnings in parts of the upper Midwest? You can see the rotation around this system. It is strong. It's bringing snow on the backside, rain ahead of it here in the Northeast. And so here's what we're looking at today this low pressure lingers over the Great Lakes. Heavy wet snow and strong winds continue, so it's going to be a mess for travel up there. Rain will mix with the wet snow in the higher terrain. Unseasonably cool temperatures return to the interior sections of the northeast. Lighter snow the leeward side of the Great Lakes, but look at some of these snowfall amounts. We're talking upwards of eight inches of snow in the UP of Michigan, northern Wisconsin, and parts of Minnesota. Down to the south, this is all part of a trailing cold front bringing heavy rain to southern Florida. Hopefully the heaviest rain stays away from Fort Lauderdale. The heavier stuff may be closer to Miami, but some of these storms could have heavy rain and strong winds, so we'll be watching that very closely as well. And that is your latest weather, guys. All right, Mr. Roker, thank you. Just ahead here on a Monday morning, the intensifying search for three Americans who vanished during a sailing trip from Mexico to San Diego. They haven't been heard from in nearly two weeks now. Miguel Almaguer is covering that one for us. Good morning. The search for those three missing t- sailors growing more desperate every day. Between the three of them, about 100 years of experience. So how could they simply vanish? Details coming out. Plus, inside this morning's launch of the tallest and most powerful rocket ever built. A key test for SpaceX, NASA, and the goal of carrying humans to the moon and even Mars. Tom Costello will bring us the very latest. But first, this is Today on NBC. back 7 30 on a big day up in boston it is patriots day the 127th boston marathon stepping off this morning with nearly 30,000 runners from all over the world taking part there uh, meanwhile with savannah and hoda off jacob soberoff joins the party you did some running this weekend too. i did do some good luck to everybody in the marathon this i'm just really yes. here to watch chanel dance with janet we will get to Chanel and, and uh, Janet Jackson coming up in just a bit, uh, but we are going to start with the ongoing search for those three experienced American sailors. Yeah, so here's the deal with that. They were traveling from Mexico to San Diego. They've not been heard from in nearly two weeks. NBC News national correspondent Miguel Almaguer joins us with the very latest. Miguel, good morning. Guys, good morning. That group of sailors is said to have nearly 100 years of sailing experience between the three of them. But now they've been gone 13 days since anyone has seen or heard from them. Their families in search crews saying everyone should be on the lookout. 
This morning, a desperate search for three American sailors lost off the coast of Mexico is underway. The Mexican Navy and U.S. Coast Guard scouring a 2,500-square-mile search area at sea for husband and wife Frank and Carrie O'Brien and their friend William Gross. All are said to be experienced sailors. The O'Briens are even licensed Coast Guard captains, but none have been seen in nearly two weeks. We're pleading for anyone out there to be on the lookout. We miss you so much and love you so much. We just want you to come home. The trio was on their way to San Diego and was last heard from on Tuesday, April 4th, when they set sail from the Mexican port city of Mazatlan. They had planned to stop for supplies in Cabo San Lucas two days later, but the Coast Guard says there is no record of them arriving and their location is unknown. There's no confirmation they had filled the vessel's fuel tanks. Um, nor confirmation that they took on food and supplies. The group was traveling on the O'Brien's 44-foot sailing vessel Oceanbound with minimal technology on board, and they may have encountered winds over 30 knots and 20-foot waves. It certainly is significant and would have affected how fast they were able to transit the coast. Their disappearance comes about a month after four Americans were kidnapped, two of them killed, likely by drug cartels, in the border town of Matamoros. While the three missing sailors set sail from a do-not-travel zone, the Coast Guard says they are strictly focusing on the search and rescue operation. Hopefully somebody sees them and uh, gets them to make contact or relay some messages out there. This morning, the families of the lost sailors hopeful their experience at sea will help them make a safe return home. Again, this is day 13, and the Coast Guard tells us they don't believe those sailors had enough food or fuel on board after missing a chance to refuel, refuel and stock up, which is why they and Mexican Navy officials are aggressively pursuing the search and rescue. Of course, time is of the essence. Guys, back to you. Yeah, certainly is. Urgent search there. Miguel, thank you so much for that. Meanwhile, it's a very big morning for SpaceX, Elon Musk, and America's plans to return to the moon. A critical test flight of the rocket that will do the job when it happens, even perhaps take astronauts to Mars. Our guy that covers space, Tom Costello, is watching this one very closely. Tom, good morning. Hey, Craig, so we are on hold. Uh, they have canceled today's mission, scrubbed it because of a valve issue, they say, in the stage one of the rocket. So we're going to wait a couple of days while they figure that out. You know, SpaceX wants to send this rocket called Starship around the Earth in a 90-minute test flight to see if it can one day carry astronauts to the moon and even Mars. This is happening, of course, down on the Texas-Mexican border on the Gulf of Mexico. The FAA has already given the green light. And so now the question is, are they going? Elon Musk is promising this mission, whenever it happens, won't be boring. Elon Musk's vision for the future starts here at his Starbase on the Gulf of Mexico near Brownsville, Texas. Starship is the most powerful rocket ever built, even taller than the Apollo Saturn V, designed to carry more cargo and more humans. NASA has already paid for the rocket to one day carry Artemis astronauts to the lunar surface, perhaps as soon as 2025. The ultimate goal to boldly go where no one has gone before, carrying hundreds of astronauts one day to Mars, even building a human colony. NASA chief Bill Nelson says it's happening fast. How quickly will there be human boots on Mars? 2040. 
So within 20 years, you think we could have humans on Mars? Within 17 years. SpaceX has been testing Starship for years. On four previous flights, the rocket crashed and exploded. But in 2021, it landed perfectly back on Earth. This test flight is programmed to orbit the Earth, then fall into the ocean off Hawaii. No astronauts on board yet. We're trying to unleash the ingenuity and creativity of private industry with, obviously, NASA considerable oversight because we're putting NASA astronauts on those vehicles. Elon Musk told me in 2021, humanity must reach for Mars and beyond if we are to survive. I think it's important that humanity become a multi-planet species and that we extend consciousness and life as we know it uh, beyond Earth. With NASA astronauts already training for the Artemis missions to the moon, first an orbit, then a landing, the pressure is on SpaceX to prove Starship is up to the job. Now, this is interesting. Starship is not just for NASA. SpaceX plans to have a private crew be the first to fly Starship, orbiting the Earth. Then two private flights to the moon would follow. No landings, just flying around up there. NASA thinks we could. NASA thinks we could be landing astronauts on the moon in 25 or maybe 26 at the earliest. And you know, I often hear this. You, it's going to take forever to get to Mars. Yeah, up to two years going and coming back. So NASA is now working on nuclear rockets to speed up that process and reduce space radiation exposure. Guys, back to you. A big day. Tom Costello for us. Tom, thank you. I love how Elon says it's going to be exciting. No matter, no matter, what, no matter happens, what happens. It's going to be and a in one of one. the greatest parts of the country with the greatest people in Boca yeah. Chica down there in, in South That's Texas. That's right. You spent some time there. They, yeah. they must be excited about Can't wait. Today. I cannot wait to yeah. see it. Uh, but for you guys, still ahead, unexpected snags upending that big Love is Blind live reunion on Netflix overnight. What outraged fans and the streaming giant are saying about it this morning. But first, Vicky's here with everything procrastinators need to know ahead of tomorrow's tax filing deadline. Hey there, Vicki. Hi, good morning. If you've waited until the last minute, I'll have everything you need to know on tax deadlines and the new rules, plus how quickly you can expect your refund this year. That's next right here on Today. We're back, 741 with your money and a very important public safety announcement here, folks. <laughs> deadline to file your taxes tomorrow. Very important announcement, right? Of course, you still have time to get in your paperwork. And here to make it a little easier with last-minute tips is NBC's senior consumer investigative correspondent, Vicki Wynn. Good morning. Good morning. Up, Good Vic? to see you. Oh, yeah. So, Vicki, when is the absolute last moment you can file electronically and also by mail? If you're e-filing, it's 11.59 p.m. tomorrow. I mean, technically, you could wait until 12, but I'm just going to say 11.59 to be safe. Yeah. If you're doing it by mail, you have to have your snail mail postmarked by tomorrow, April 18th. And remember, post offices usually close around five or six, so you don't wait until the evening. Uh, it is the same thing if you are trying to file an extension. But I will say, if you're expecting a refund, mm -hmm. you have three years to claim that refund. And here's the deal. The IRS is sitting on 1.5 billion dollars on people's tax refunds from 2019. You have until July 17th of this year to file if you didn't for 2019. Wow. And there's a lot of money out there. I'd ask yeah. for a friend here, yeah. but what if you can't make tomorrow's day? 
And you need to no file an extension. Here's no a pen judgment. if you need to write down some notes. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. You have to file your extension by tomorrow. Same deadlines. And here's the thing. You also have to pay if you are expected to owe the government. You get this extension to fill out the paperwork, not to pay what is due. So make sure you know about that. That's really, really important. It's free to file for that extension. Just go to irs.gov slash free file. You could be penalized if you don't pay. You can pay via credit card, debit card, or a check, but it's got to be postmarked by tomorrow. And don't forget state taxes as well. If you file for an extension with the federal government, that's one thing, but you need to make sure you square it up with your state as well. Vic, I feel like every time you look, there's new rules, new important rules. Are there any new ones this year that we need to know about? There were so many natural disasters across our country this year, and the IRS understands that taxes may not be your priority if your home was swept away. So if you live in Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, parts of California and New York and some others as well, you may have until May 15th or even October 16th Mm -hmm. to file for your taxes. You want to go to irs.gov slash disaster relief, and that's how you'll find out which what deadline you follow. But yes, if you file the extension, you get six months as well. That's and the California other, resident, I need that pen. Okay, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, uh, the couple other things. If your adjusted gross income is $73,000 or less, you can file your federal taxes for free. Start on the IRS website, though. Sometimes you go to those private companies that partner with the IRS, but then you don't get the free file. So start at irs.gov slash free file to do that. And then finally, Did you get married? Did you get divorced? Did you add a family member this year? Or maybe you started caring for an aging parent. If there are life changes, you want to make sure that's reflected in your tax statements as well. Great info. Thanks, Vic. You're welcome. All right. Let us turn to Mr. Roker for another check of the weather. What are we looking at, Al? Well, guys, first of all, we got a big change coming in our climate. We're looking last December. We've had this ongoing three-year-old La Nina. Well, that has changed. December, January, February, March, we've been seeing the Pacific waters warming, and that means the La Nina is over, and we're probably going to see by fall an 80% chance of an El Nino. Now, what does that mean for us? Increased wind shear in the tropics, and that probably means less favorable favorable conditions for tropical development. That's good news. However, global impacts, a cooling effect of La Nina is gone. And so that means we've got an enhanced increase, an increased chance of global temperatures and records uh, setting temperatures as well. But that's not happening right now for parts of the Midwest and the Plains. 10 degrees cooler than in Fargo at 46. Pittsburgh going to be 49. Today, those temperatures, tomorrow, those temperatures move, cooler temperatures move east. Scranton, Baltimore, Syracuse, Lansing, Columbus, down to Charleston, all below average. But then temperatures rebound quickly. Look at this. Uh, 50 degrees on Wednesday, Burlington, 64 on Friday. New York, we're 62 Wednesday, 71 by Friday. Pittsburgh, you're 65 on Wednesday, into the low 70s by the end of the week. And that is your latest weather, guys. All right, Al, thanks so much. Coming up, look who's here. The legendary one and only Reba McIntyre will chat about her new book, Why She Says the Best Things in Life Are Not Fancy, and Becoming a Mega Mentor on The Voice. Oh, really looking forward to that. It's right after this. 